And, uh, but we have a privilege. You're blessed to be here today to have Pastor Michael Peters with us. And he's going to come share the word and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Michael. It is good to be with you. I, uh, I tell you, I was so inspired by Judith's announcement that when I go back to St. Louis, I'm going to ask our finance committee if we can donate. Can we donate? You will take other people's money, all right? Very good. Those of you who are lying, you heard that. They will take other people's money. And invest it in children. We are very committed to children's ministry at Christ the King Community Church in St. Louis. We believe in making lifelong disciples of Jesus Christ from the time that they are born and dedicated to Jesus until they breathe their last breath and go into heaven. We are committed to making lifelong disciples. We are committed as a church to train our children from the earliest age possible until the age in which they go out our door to whether it's a university, a college, or a career that moves them outside the immediate orbit of our fellowship, we are committed that when they leave, we go with them. The disciple-making is not putting people into something, it's putting something into people. And we put truth into our children. Wherever they go, it goes with them. And so the investment in children isn't just about the children's ministry of this church, it's about the kids. And Judas said that. They're the future leaders of our nation. God knows we could use them. Amen? They're the future leaders of churches. They're the parents-to-be. All walks of life. You put truth in a child, however God leads their life and their calling, that truth shapes who they become and how they lead and how they parent and how they do everything they do. I'm telling you, I'm just picking up where Judith left off. I'm telling you right now, I feel strong about children. Glory to God. <laughs> and, and I'm on a, I, 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 well, I, I'm a little bit selfish in this because I happen to believe with all of my heart that if we invest in children, God will supply for the church all that we need. I am 100% convinced of this. And so I have to be honest with you. It isn't just that my heart wants to invest and be a blessing to your children. But when I go back to Christ the King Community Church and we decide to send an offering to you, we're going to get double blessed. <laughs> and so for those of you online, if you have a financial need, invest in children and God will bless you. Given it shall be given unto you. You know, the given unto you comes after the giving. That's good preaching, don't you think, girl? <laughs> It's true, and you can't give better than investing in kids. And I tell you also, I appreciate what Judith said uh, about um, her age. I have my 18-year-old bride with me this morning. <laughs> Linda, would you please stand? <laughs> she was 19 when we got married. Yeah. She lost a year. <laughs> yeah. After 43 years, there's some people beginning to believe it's going to work. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's not the age in which you get married at. It's the commitment to Jesus Christ that makes the difference. Yes. Yes. 
You can be old and mature and mess up your marriage if you're not committed to Jesus. And you can be young and immature and not have a clue what you're doing. But if you love Jesus together, you'll figure it out. That's how love works. And uh, we're, we're still figuring it out after, after 43 years. Hallelujah. Open your Bibles to Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 21 through 34. I'm an old-fashioned preacher. I still preach from a Bible. I, I read the Bible in my app, but I just can't preach from it. It doesn't feel right. And, and I'm not saying it's not right. It might not be right. I don't know. But, <laughs> but there's something about holding the Bible. This is the Word of God. I always loved it when Billy Graham would step back and he'd say, the Bible says, and he'd point his finger at it, and you go, oh, I'm listening, Billy, I'm listening. What's it say? That's the way we should be when we open up the Scripture. And when the pastor says, turn to your Bible, whether it's your Bible app or your Bible, what I'm about to read is a whole lot more important than anything I might say. This will change your life. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 21, now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians, she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself the power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you, and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Let's pray and ask God to bless the word to us today. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would take the words of Jesus and, and this story and you would apply it to our hearts, that its truths would speak to us, that we might become like this woman who touched you, Lord. I pray you give me words to speak and just let us enter into the word of God together, I ask, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to share with you this morning on the power of connecting with Jesus. What a difference it made in her life when she connected with Jesus. She connected by faith. The crowd just showed up at the meeting. She left healed. They left as they came. As the crowd left, I wonder what they said one to another. I can imagine one guy saying to another, I didn't get anything out of the meeting this morning, did you? 
And the other guy says, I know. I didn't want to say anything. But did you see that woman? She, she elbowed me right in the back when she worked her way through to get up to Jesus. I don't know what all that was about. She fell down. They missed out by just showing up. They showed up and she connected. There's a difference. When she connected with Jesus by faith, the power flowed out of him and into her. It says in chapter 5, verse 10, Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that the power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? This is the only example I know of in the scripture of Jesus performing a miracle unintentionally. There's a mystery here beyond my ability to comprehend. She touches him and, ooh, the power flowed out of him. And he senses it inside himself. Every other miracle we see, Jesus is focused on the person. And in this miracle, Jesus is really going with Jairus to his home because Jairus' daughter is dying. And while he's going, she works her way through the crowd, touches him, and spontaneously, the power flows out of him and into her. It's really a marvelous miracle. That is one of the things about this lady and this story that has so staggered me and challenged my faith, is to have the kind of faith that so moves the heart of God that there is a spontaneous response from the heart of God. That's what's happening here. And it is a mystery. It's not something we can mechanically say that if you believe, God will automatically do. But there is something in the heart of God that responds to faith. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please him. And the opposite of that is that faith pleases him. And you'll see at the end of the story, Jesus was pleased. Who touched me, Jesus said. And the disciples and the other gospels just say Peter. Peter was kind of the uh, spokesperson. <laughs> I always picture Peter as trying to administrate Jesus. He, and, and keep things together. He's got this crowd. He's got Jesus. He's got Jairus. He's got all this going on. And she works her way through and touches him, and he doesn't even see her. And Jesus says, who touched me? And Peter says, you see the crowd thronging you? And you ask, who touched me? Once again, by being literalists, they miss the point of Jesus. She touched. They bumped into Jesus. Just showing up at a meeting is like bumping into them. I've done it. I've been to a lot of meetings that I just showed up at. Sometimes it's out of obligation or expectation, or maybe it's just a habit. Why did you come to church this week? Well, because I came last week. Why did you come this week? Oh, well, I'm in charge of sound. 
Oh, I've got to be an usher. Well, why'd you come this week? Oh, I'm the preacher. <laughs> I've got to be here. You can show up at the meeting for a lot of reasons and just go to the meeting. I've done it. You may have done it. I don't know. <laughs> but I have had those times where I've made connection. Those are the times that change you, aren't they? She made connection. I want to connect with Jesus like she connected with Jesus. And to do that, I need to become like her. What kind of person was she? Mark chapter 5, verse 25, simply describes her as a certain woman. Now, a certain woman. She's not given a name. Jairus is called by name. He has a name. Maybe he's a somebody because he's a ruler in the synagogue. People who are somebody get a name, and their name is remembered. She's just called a certain woman. But by referring to her as a certain woman, it's singling her out. She's singled out because she's a certain kind of woman. She's not singled out because she has status enough to have a name that people remember. She's singled out because she's a certain kind of woman that can reach through and touch Jesus while no one else is getting through. So I thought about what kind of woman is she? And I thought, I'm going to give her a name that matches the kind of woman she is. And so I started to think about how I would name her and I couldn't give her one name. I ended up giving her five names. And so I want to share with you the five names I've given to her. And each one of these names highlights a certain characteristic of the kind of woman she was. The first name is Mona. Mona means alone. In Mark 5, 26, it says, A certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She was isolated by her illness. She was alone in her isolation, but she wasn't imprisoned by it. Now, when I say I want to become like her, I'm not saying I want to become alone. What I'm saying is this is, I don't want to become imprisoned by what isolates me. She did not allow what isolated her to imprison her. And she had isolation. We've experienced isolation this past year through social distancing. It's good to see your faces this morning. It's been hard. It's been hard on seniors who are shut in. Many of them have been isolated from their children and their grandchildren. There are people who have not hugged their family in a year. It's been isolation. It's been hard on children and even infants as they first look up and they see a masked person looking down at them. And that's their first imprint of a human face. It's been hard. It's been hard on kids in school. We're on today, we're off today, we're on today, we're off today. 
Their lives are totally disrupted. There's isolation. And we've experienced it for a year. Imagine she lived it for 12 years. She had a hemorrhage, a flow of blood, and according to Levitical law, she was unclean. She could not attend worship. She could not associate with people. This isolated her life. I think we can feel a little sympathy for her and what it must have been like for her to live in this isolation for 12 years. In fact, she lived in it so long, I think she was somewhat conditioned by it. That happens to us. When you live with something long enough, you adapt to it. You get conditioned by it. I think she was conditioned by it. She says within herself, if I just touch the hem of his garment, she cannot imagine herself actually touching Jesus. Now, Jairus, when he came to Jesus about his daughter, he asked Jesus, could you come and lay your hands on her? It never enters Jairus' mind that Jesus wouldn't want to touch his daughter because there's nothing unclean. But this woman, she can't think of touching Jesus or Jesus touching her. I'll just touch the hem of his garment because she was used to and conditioned by the knowledge that she was unclean and anyone she touched, she made unclean. So she says, I'll just touch the hem of his garment. And when she comes to Jesus, she comes up behind him. I don't think it was accidental. I think it was an intentional angle of approach from someone who was used to being isolated and unnoticed, doesn't want to draw attention to herself. She's conditioned by it. And she comes up behind, touches the hem of his garment, and she's going to sneak away. She got her miracle. She didn't need attention. She's used to this. But she's not imprisoned by it. If you've been dealing with something for a number of years, you've adapted to it. In a certain measure, you're conditioned by it. But if you're going to be like her, you cannot allow yourself to be imprisoned by it. You can't say, I've lived with this for 12 years, I'll make 13. I've got to get out of this prison. I'm not going to stay here. That alone is amazing. What a great woman to live as she did for 12 years and say, I'm going to get to Jesus. I don't know what's conditioned you. Maybe it's not physical illness. Maybe it's repeated failure. Maybe it's hurt. Maybe it's rejection. Maybe it's just an inability that you have, that you have to not let imprison you. This might surprise you, but uh, my inability is language. I know I make a living talking. <laughs> when our son was born, I was called out of remedial English class at a local community college. I was 28 years old. I, I, language and me do not match. In high school, I never made higher than a D in English. 
When I'd ask the teacher how to pronounce a word, she'd say, just look it up. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? How do you look it up and figure out how to pronounce a word? I see those little signs, the squiggles and all that stuff, you know. And you know what I do now? I just Google, how do you pronounce? <laughs> and I decided, well, I'm going to go to seminary. And I find out, oh, gosh, they got Greek and Hebrew. But what I lack in language ability, God, by his grace, helps me with memorization. And so when I took Hebrew, I went to the professor and I said, can I reproduce the verb chart? They have a one-page verb chart, and it's very elaborate on, on how to dissect or parse the verbs. And I said, can I reproduce the verb chart before I take the test? He said, you mean from the book? I said, no, from memory. He had never had that request before. He said, sure. He thought I was crazy, but he said, sure. I reproduced, the, give me a test. I reproduced the verb chart from memory. Then all I had to do then was memorize vocabulary. I would match vocabulary with the verb chart, and I made my way through Hebrew. You can let your inability imprison you, or you can find a way out of it. Mona, alone, isolated in her illness, but not imprisoned. Don't be imprisoned. She came to Jesus. Mark 5, 27 says, when she heard about Jesus, she came. That's when I changed her name to Amelia. Amelia means single-minded, motivated. She was motivated. She's coming out of her prison and she's motivated. She's going to get to Jesus. I cannot imagine how hard it was for her to make the first step. Newton's first law of motion states that a body at rest will remain at rest unless an outside force acts upon it. Whenever I read that, a body at rest will remain at rest, I see me in a recliner. You know, <laughs> a body at rest will remain at rest unless acted upon. Sometimes we need a push, don't we, to get our first step going. No one pushed her. No one. There's no one in this story that pushes her out the door of her home. Here, here, go find Jesus. He'll help you. No push from anyone. No one's even taken up her cause. There are a lot of miracles Jesus performed because someone took up the other person's cause. I mean, we began with Jairus coming to Jesus on behalf of his daughter. We know the story of the centurion sending his servants to get Jesus to heal his other servant and then just saying, I'll just send the word, he'll be healed. And the great story of the guys, I assume it's four guys, who lowered their paralytic friend down with ropes in front of Jesus when he's teaching in what was probably Peter's house. Somebody took up their cause. And that's what we do when we pray for people, isn't it? We, we're taking up their cause and we're bringing them to Jesus in prayer. No one took up her cause. No one pushed her out the door. 
She's an Amelia. She's motivated on her own. It's coming from within her. I think there's a time in our walk of faith where every one of us is faced with the decision, are we going to follow Jesus out of a motivation that comes from within us, or do we constantly have to be pushed? I was saved December 7th, 1971. I was 18. I came out of a hippie culture. I know that's hard to imagine, but trust me. (laughs) Two friends led me to Christ through the Jesus people. Eight months later, that summer, those two friends left me. One moved to California and the other moved to Iowa. The two people who led me to the Lord left me and I was alone. I was 19 and I had to make a decision whether I was going to follow Jesus or not. Now you think you made it when you first got saved. And I did and I didn't. In a sense, I had made a decision but that had brought me into where my friends were who were witnessing to me a shared faith. Now they were going, gone, and I had to make a new decision on whether I'm going to follow Jesus or not on my own. You know, when you're 19, you can get in a lot of trouble real fast. So I'm looking at this and I'm deciding, what am I going to do? Well, after one night of backsliding, I woke up the next morning and I realized the world has nothing to offer to me. It's dead. And it's still dead. And it's always going to be dead. And there is no life in it. And all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. John wrote that 2,000 years ago and they haven't added anything since. And I realized it. And I had to make a decision to follow Jesus, and I knew that meant becoming part of a church. I'd gone to meetings, and I know that I couldn't do it alone, but I had to make a decision alone. Does that make sense? So I made the decision to go to a church, and I visited this church. About 50 people in an old house. The pastor raises his hands and says, let's pray. And he starts crying. And I thought, I'm getting out of here. And the funny thing is, the Lord kept telling me to go back. And I got to tell you, they were the strangest people you'd ever see. At least through the eyes of a 19-year-old who the year earlier, with his hippie friends, had watched the movie Woodstock And while we were partying, we'd watch Joe Cocker play the air guitar and sing, Cry Me a River. And now I'm in church singing, Further along, we'll know all about it. (laughs) With a bunch of people who wouldn't know where Woodstock was. It's a long journey from Cry Me a River to Further Along, we'll know all about it. But these were the people God connected me with. I made a decision to follow the Lord. You have to make your own decision. 
our kids. They're born to us, and we, we commit them to God as a stewardship, and we're asking for God's protection on their lives as we dedicate our babies. And then we have nurseries that surround them with the love and the blessing of God. And then when they're old enough, they start singing with us in church, and we send them out to children's church for a lesson, lesson at their level. And as they get a little bit older, we put them in youth groups, and they are growing through the whole process. And then the time comes where they go away to school and they're on their own. That's when they make their decision. The church cannot become a life support system that makes decisions for people that they have to make on their own. Your job is to equip them that when they have put into the fire, They know what decision they're going to make. For me, I was 19, and I made the decision to walk with the Lord. Amelia, she was motivated inside herself. What motivates you inside yourself? Become like her. She comes to Jesus. What's she going to do when she gets there? Well, it tells us in Matthew and in Mark, combining these two verses, it says, when she heard about Jesus, she said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. She knew what she would do when she got there. She'd touch his garment. She'd be made well. This is when I changed her name to Sophie, which means wise or wisdom. Wisdom is accrued, not by what you hear, but by what you take in. She said within herself, what is inside her? She says within herself, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made well. She has taken this in. She has heard that Jesus heals. And so she takes that in. What you take in, not just what you hear, is where you accrue wisdom. I imagine... Her doctors would advise her to stay home and rest. But she'd done that for 12 years. She wasn't going to take that in any longer. And I am amazed at how many people continue to listen to what has not helped them yet. We're living in a disintegrating society. But they won't come to Jesus because they're listening to the atheist, the agnostic, the psychiatrist, the psychologist, the educator, the social activator, and the political pronosticators. Everybody's got somebody they're listening to. It doesn't matter what side of the issue you're on. They've got somebody they're here, and they're taking it in. But it's not helped. She took in. Jesus heals. And you know, even us as Christians, sometimes misguided but well-intentioned Christians will give you bad advice. It isn't just the atheist and the agnostic. Sometimes it's the Christian. If this woman had lived today, some Christian would have said to her, well, the gift of healing passed away with the apostles. 
It would have. I graduated from a Calvinist seminary that taught that the gifts of the Spirit passed away with the apostles, but that doesn't mean I have to take it in. There's a lot of things Christians say that I don't take in. Doesn't mean I think they're not Christians, I just think they're misguided. I don't have to take it in. She heard Jesus heals. And even if some Christian had said to her, well, you know, I heard he was at the Pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem, and there was a lot of sick people there, and he only healed one. She would have taken in, good, I'll be that one. (laughs) It's not what you hear, it's what you take in that makes you wise. Be the one. Be the one that Jesus heals. Be the one that makes it through the crowd and touches Jesus. Be the one. There's always someone who gives you advice that doesn't know what they're talking about. What are you going to take in? She's Sophie. She's wise enough. She hears that Jesus heals and she says, that's for me. I'm taking this into myself, and I'm going to keep saying to myself, if I touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made well. What do you say within yourself? I know we can put on a a good confession for one another. This is her talking to herself. I talk to myself a lot. Thank God for phones. I'm just so thankful for the age of phones because I used to talk to myself before phones became popular. And now if you're talking to yourself while you're driving or walking around, people just think I'm talking on my phone. (laughs) I'd like to think all of us talk to ourselves somewhat. What do you say within yourself? She heard that Jesus healed. She took it in. She said to herself, If I touch him, I'll be made well. She's wise. She knows what she's going to do when she gets there, but there's an obstacle in her way. Mark 5, verse 27 says, She came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Between her and Jesus was the crowd. This is when I changed her name to Willa, which means resolute. There's always a last-minute obstacle. Have you found that out? Always a last-minute obstacle. Something between you and Jesus. I don't know what she thought that day when she left her home. This probably occurred in a town of Capernaum. No one knows exactly what town she's from. Ancient church historian Eusebius, they, they say it was Caesarea Philippi, and there was a house in the second and third century, there was an actual statue of her. But no one really knows where she's from and how long the journey was to get to Jesus. But I wonder when she set out, did she think, I've got to get there before the crowd? Have you ever done that? You want to show up before the crowd only to find out when you showed up, the crowd beat you? <laughs> They're there first. So close. And yet between her and Jesus is a crowd. But she's not going to be denied. The crowd wasn't opening up for her. It said they thronged Jesus. Another translation says they were pressing into him. Shoulder to shoulder. How's she getting through this? She's not strong. She's probably weakened by her condition. 
but she's not going to be denied. I wouldn't want to get between her and Jesus. <laughs> I don't know how bony her elbows were, but boy, she used them. She had to get through to Jesus. Nothing was going to stop her from getting to Jesus. I think we'd give up too easy. I think sometimes we pray, and when it doesn't come easy, we go, oh, well, it must not have been the will of God. Maybe the will of God was for you to persevere. Maybe the will of God is for you to persevere. It used to be called praying through. She worked through. She prayed through. She got through to Jesus. Things hold people back. People get held back from salvation. They just, things are holding them back from getting through to Jesus. I don't know if you know the story of St. Augustine. St. Augustine, before he became St. Augustine, was Sinner Augustine. He was raised in a Christian home. His mother, Monica, wanted him to become a priest. His father was a drunk. He wanted to be more like his dad than his mother. So he fled from his home and he went to Rome. He was born in North Africa and he went to Rome. And he went to the gladiator fights in the Colosseum. He shacked up with his girlfriend. This is not a video game, this is real. And he became a teacher of rhetoric to rich kids. And so he's getting paid to teach children rhetoric. He was a philosopher in that he followed the philosophy of Manichaeism, which is kind of like yin and yang today. Um, good and evil are in these equal battles, one against the other. It was called Manichaeism back then. And so he was a philosopher. But he said the memory of truth followed him. <laughs> what his mother taught him, he couldn't run away from. He ran away from his mom, but he couldn't get away from the truth. <laughs> the truth followed him. And slowly, he tells his story of conversion in his book, Confessions. Slowly, the truth started tearing down all his philosophical arguments. And it finally boiled down to one thing. He didn't want to give up his living girlfriend. They had a child together. They were living with uh, several friends in a, I call it a hippie commune in Milan, but uh, something like that. And he writes this famous prayer that he's known for, God, give me chastity, but not yet. And then in his confessions, he realizes this is just boiling down to fleshly sin. I thought it was about my great philosophy, my rhetoric, my independence. I thought it was about all these things, but what it was really about is my sin. And one day, he's sitting in his garden. It was like one of those, you've seen those European gardens where they have the walls and these little gardens between homes. He's sitting in a garden like that in Milan. And he hears children on the other side of the wall singing, take it up and read, take it up and read, like a little children's song. He'd never heard it before, never heard it since. Take it up and read, and he knew what he was to do. A friend of his had gotten saved and had gotten a copy of Paul's letters. They didn't even have the whole New Testament available like we have, okay? But the guy had gotten a copy of Paul's letters, 
And he and Augustine had been talking back and forth. And when these children sang, take it up and read, Augustine gets up, he goes in, he finds the copy, he opens it up, and it accidentally falls to Romans 13. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh. And he got saved. There was something between him and Jesus. It was his sin. With C.S. Lewis, it was his intellect. Lewis described the night he knelt in his Oxford University apartment. And he said, I was the most reluctant convert. He had been an atheist. And God had revealed himself to him. But it was his intellect that held him back. What's holding you back? What's between you and Jesus? Not just salvation. Yes, salvation. You know what was between me and my salvation? My friends. Friends have always been vitally important to me. And I'm so thrilled to say that my friend, Herb, who has been a friend of mine since sixth grade, is now in our church. And we baptized him just a few years ago. And we still get together with some old friends from high school. And I knew that if I accepted Jesus and became a real Christian, I couldn't party with my friends. I would have to part with my friends. Now, I know people will tell you, well, you can do that and you can still witness to them. No, you can't. That, that, you, you, you can't. You can't stay in the room when they're smoking dope and not get high. It doesn't work. You can't do it. You can't keep yourself pure sexually when it's being offered freely. You can't do it. You're not that strong. You're just fooling yourself. And I wasn't trying to fool myself. I knew that to accept Jesus meant to part ways. They're between me and Jesus. You're going to work way through the crowd or not? Well, it did. She's resolute. Nothing is going to stop her from getting to Jesus. Don't let anything stop you from getting to Jesus. She gets to Jesus. She touches him. And the Bible says, immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. This is when I changed her name to Zoe, which means life. It's the Greek word for life in the New Testament, God's life. In him was Zoe, life, and the life was the light of men. I have come that you may have life, Zoe. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Zoe. When she touched Jesus, the power flows out of him, but it's not this nebulous force Obi-Wan Kenobi power. The Holy Spirit is not the force. He is the person of God. God's life flowed out of Jesus and into her. And when God's life flowed out of Jesus into her, it changed her life. Imagine if you knew this lady and you saw her the day after. You just see her walking around and her face is beaming. She's like she swallowed a light bulb. Wow, and you think, did you get healed? 
And she says, oh, I got more than healed. I got a new life. That's what I got. I got more than healed. When his life came into me, I got a new life. Amazing. Amazing miracle. For an amazing woman. I want to be like her. Because I want God's life in my life. I don't understand anyone who thinks that you can touch Jesus without being changed. God's life changes you. I mentioned I got saved on December 7th, 1971. It was an accidental salvation. About like walking down the road and falling in a manhole. I didn't go to the meeting to get saved. I went to the meeting to chase girls. I was told there'd be girls there. It didn't, didn't matter to me if Jesus was there or not. They gave an altar call. And we were all sitting on the floor, cross-legged, while this Jesus freak gospel band ministered and sang and preached. When they gave the altar call, my friend Mark, whom we called Mad Dog, if you knew him for obvious reasons, he gets up and he kicks me in the butt. I jumped up. <laughs> you did not chose me, but I have kicked you, is what Jesus said. Mark's making his way to the front. We're stepping over people, going to the front. I'm about halfway to the front, and I realized they're going to pray for me. I didn't want to get prayed for, so I turned around. I, I mean, I made a U-turn at the altar call. I turned around to go back to where I was, and back there was this girl named Kathy. She was the Christian girl in our high school, the real Christian. And there's always a bunch of fakes, but I mean the real deal. The real Christian in our high school. She was there. She'd been witnessing to us for many years. Kathy's back there crying tears of joy because she thinks this sinner's going to get saved. I couldn't disappoint her. So I turned back around to go forward. I get to the front. The guy says to me, all right, let's pray. And I said, oh, whatever. And uh, he says, pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, forgive me my sins. Come into my heart or your heart. I said, okay. So I prayed it, and he said, what happened? I said, nothing. He said, pray it again. Thank God he wasn't one of these people who patted you on the head and said, now you got it, when I didn't get anything. Too many people are told they got it, and they don't have it. And then they're trying to live like they got it, and they realize there's no real power in it. I don't really know what all these people are talking about. And someday, maybe five years up the road, they say, I don't think there's anything to it. There is anything to it if you don't get it. And so he said, pray it again. I prayed it again. Nothing happened. He said, pray it again. We went through this ritual, I don't know how many times, really. And all these people, are, we're kneeling, and all these people around me with their hands laid on me, and they're praying in tongues. And I remember thinking, they're praying in Bible languages. Boy, these people are really into it. I never knew what tongues were before that. And so he says, pray it again. And I, while I'm praying it, the Lord reveals himself to me. And I don't mean like the sky opened, but it might as well have. The Lord showed me. He said, if Jesus isn't the truth, there is no truth. And to be honest with you, I didn't really care about my sins. I hadn't killed anyone. 
And that's what most people call sin. Other than that, it's just personal choice. Okay? And so I didn't even think of myself as a sinner. And somebody says, ask for forgiveness of your sins. and whatever. Okay? But I wanted truth. I want truth. See, people get saved for different reasons. The whole idea that everybody gets saved because they're a guilty sinner didn't really work for me. Okay? I got saved because I want the truth. And then when the Lord revealed himself to me as the truth, I prayed, Lord, forgive me my sins, come into my heart. And the power of God came down. And we all start rocking back and forth. And though I wasn't even worried about my sin to be really kind of with you, I felt a guilt, a weight go off of me. I mean, I felt it. And I knew that Jesus had come into me. The extent of my theology was, forgive me my sins, come into my life. That was kind of it. It's all I knew. But God did it. I left there changed, not even wanting to change when I came. You can't connect with the life of God without being changed. It can't be done. Too much of Christianity is acting like, oh, yeah, he's saved, but he's living like the devil. But he's saved. Really? That's not the Savior I met. You've, you touch God and his power flows into you. You're changed. This lady was changed. She was healed. She felt it inside herself. She knew it. It happened. She was healed. Someone who touches Jesus and they ask for forgiveness and they really touch Jesus, the guilt's gone, isn't it? It just goes. There's no more consciousness of it, the Bible says. It's just removed. Someone who asks for the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God comes into them and they start speaking in tongues and glorifying God. They know things have changed. It's a change. I'm different. There's a power inside me that wasn't there before. I've met Christians who have lived for years believing in Jesus and being born again, but then they get baptized in the Spirit. It's like, whoa, it's like they got plugged in. They did. They connected with Jesus. Connecting with Jesus, that's where the power is. There's no power apart from it. That's why this account is so, so critical for us. There is no power apart from connecting with Jesus. But when you connect with him, it doesn't matter. Whatever's isolating you, whether it's physical, emotional, or spiritual, when you connect with Jesus, his power will flow into you, and you will have a new life. Do you want that? I didn't come here to have a meeting. <laughs> I'm, I'm not really a meeting guy. I came here to connect with Jesus and encourage you to connect with him. Let's stand and pray. Would the worship team come and those who are going to assist with prayer? Those of you who are viewing this online, you can connect with Jesus. <laughs> oh, he's here. He's in the church in a special way. It's his temple for the spirit of God to inhabit. But he's also out there with you. 
And you can connect with them too. Simply by bowing the knee, confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, and whatever is holding you back, whether it's sin or hurt or isolation or intellect or whatever it is, get through it to him. As we continue to worship, if you like prayer, to connect with Jesus. For whatever it is, maybe you need to get saved. <laughs> maybe this is your manhole Sunday. You can fall into salvation this morning just by receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You don't have to join the church. You just get connected to Jesus. Maybe you need healing. Maybe you've lived with something long enough, your condition just to live in the prison of it. Well, let's just open the door this morning. Let's come out of that prison. Connect with Jesus. I'm going to pray, then we're going to sing, and if you'd like to have prayer, come forward. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would quicken faith in us in a way we're in a very privileged place even compared to her. We have a spirit that's been poured out 2,000 years ago that she was not, that had not yet happened for her. And yet, Lord, it has happened in this age. And I pray for the Holy Spirit to help us take in the words of faith and speak to ourselves as she spoke to herself. If I just touch him, and then whatever it is, your power can fix it and transform us. Help us, Lord, to connect with you. In Jesus' name, amen.